What's up, everybody? Pete Kennedy here of Subway Sports Talk. And before we get into all of the sports talk, it's it's something that has to be brought up. It's something that is necessary to put out your best energy and best wishes for DeMar Hamlin. It's something that before we talk about sports for I don't know how long, for the next week, next two weeks, next month, hopefully there's news that can change that. But right now it's important before we sit here and have the luxury to talk about sports and just debate and discuss about basketball, football, or whatever it may be. You have to keep that man in your heart. You have to keep DeMar Hamlin in your thoughts. And it's important because he's fighting right now. And we haven't gotten many updates. I know it's been really tough for so many of us. Nothing's tougher than the people in that room with him. So just keep thinking of them and keep DeMar Hamlin right here, real close to the heart. I want to read a tweet that I retweeted on that night. And I haven't really covered it much on social media because it's not really, it's not really my thing to do that. But this was something I read that hit home to me and it hits home to a lot of athletes. So I just wanted to read this to you guys from Ryan Clark, who did a wonderful job with Scott Van Pelt and shout out to all the ESPN hosts who, who carried that broadcast without knowing much and being in the, in the dark there and not really understanding the, the largeness of that situation, or maybe they did it. Maybe that's why they handled it so damn well, but here's the tweet from Ryan Clark. We use these cliches quote, going to war, willing to die, give it all. End quote. That's all talk. It's a game. A game. You never suit up and think you're not going to make it home. I can't imagine what he and the Bills are going through. Please pray for DeMar and his family. I'm effing shook. And reading that tweet, that hit home for me, you know, and a lot of people who played sports, whether it be at the youngest level, in high school, college, whatever, that hits home because you, you hear that. We're going to battle. You're with your brothers. You're going out on the field. You got to leave everything out on that field. It's things that we've all thought about. It's things that most of us have said. Most of us have practiced. And most of us hold dear to our hearts. A lot of coaches out there who use those terminologies. And I don't blame them. I've used them too. Ryan Clark hit the nail on the head. No one, when they use those terminologies, outside of maybe you want to talk about boxing and professional fighting, MMA, UFC, etc., Outside of that true, true combat sport where your goal is to knock somebody out, you never expect to end up in a hospital. You never expect to be fighting for your life. And we have to remind ourselves that it's a game. And there's a game that many of us love, care about, discuss, talk about, think about, read about, write about, crunch numbers about, have a beer over. But it's a game. And the fact that it could do that to somebody hurts a lot and is scary. It's really scary. It's going to take time for the whole world and the whole NFL and football universe to, to bounce back from this. And I'm hoping for Sunday, week 18, to be clean and everybody to come out healthy. And for DeMar, of course, to come out healthy as well. Just keep that man close to the heart. And we're going to kick off the show now as well. Thank you. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I'm your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcast app, Spotify, YouTube. Wherever you're listening, we appreciate you. It's the same, man. It's 2023 now, and we're here to talk more sports. It's what we do. It's what we do. And today, specifically, obviously, if you're here right now after that little intro song there, you know, you, you heard the open, I assume. Um, and with that all being said, I'm not going to revisit it much. I am going to talk about sports. I am going to discuss. I am going to debate with myself because this is a whole episode. Uh, but I'm going to talk about basketball today. And that's a choice that's... You know, it is what it is. I, football just feels a little secondary right now. Not that basketball takes precedent over the health of somebody from a different sport or, or not. But talking about football right now, going into week 18 where, you know, a lot of games don't have the utmost importance. It just doesn't feel necessary to, to deep dive into, you know, week 18 matchups and possible playoff scenarios. We're going to have time to discuss some of that stuff. I'm going to have a pod coming out next week. Uh, talking about quarterbacks in the playoffs. I'm excited for that. And we're going to talk about 
quarterback tiers in the NFL right now. And that's going to be pumped. That's going to be awesome. I'm pumped up for that. But right now we're going to talk hoops. But before we get to that, I do got to tell you guys something. The NBA season is heating up and there are so many unknowns. I mean, have you looked at the Western Conference standings? Uh, the one seed and the seven seed are separated by one or two games. It's insane what's happening in the NBA right now, but there's still plenty of opportunities to get some future action in through DraftKings Sportsbook. And right now, the MVP race is starting to be talked about a little bit. If you listen to any of these podcasts, you heard me talk about Jason Tatum going from over plus 1,000. Now he's up to plus 250, or I should say down to plus 250. So maybe he's not the guy to get the value anymore. But guess who still has some good odds? Who's absolutely crushing the NBA right now? You don't want to hear it. It's Nikola Jokic, officially up to the fourth highest odds here in this regular season, Nikola Jokic plus 600 to get a three-peat of the MVP award. And I know what you guys are all saying. He can't win three in a row. How could he possibly win three in a row? Joel Embiid's going to cry. It's Jason Tatum. It's Luka Doncic. It's Giannis. No. Nikola Jokic is right there again, and he is absolutely crushing it. Breaking records getting his name said with Will Chamberlain more than he possibly should. The passing, the shooting, the defense is better. It's incredible to watch this man, Nikola Jokic, play. And guess what? The Nuggets are the one seed in the Western Conference. And if they continue to be the one seed, that plus 600 is only going to go down. So you might as well throw a shekel on it now. And where else would you do it? But DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can bet just $5 pregame money line on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. And check this out. That's for new customers, but this one, this one's for everyone. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. You go to DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, which combines multiple bets to increase your odds, like which team will win, who's going to get 10 rebounds, Who's going to score 20 points? All that fun stuff. Even if you don't like a side, you can still get some action by betting on some player props and some game totals, etc. And the more legs you add, the bigger the boost and the bigger your chances to win. Download the DraftKings app now and sign up with code TBPN. Place a $5 pregame Moneyline bet on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Because basketball is still kicking and we got hoops games going on every single day. It's been exciting. And it's one of those years, man, where you look at the standings and you're like, oh my God, there's a lot of good teams out here. There's a lot of good players. One of the big talking points of the NBA season thus far, and especially of the past week or so, have been these spectacular one-off performances. And you almost don't even want to say one-off performances because they're happening all the time. I mean, obviously, Donovan Mitchell's 71-point performance. You had Luka's bomb display of 60 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists against the New York Knicks, and that comeback win. You have Joel Embiid putting up 45 in, like, 20, and everyone's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, like, Jokic, 47, 20, 10, averaging a triple-double over the past couple weeks. I mean, the performances are out of control right now. It is super fun to watch. We got teams in the Western Conference, all top seven teams, Actually, nine of the of the top eight teams. Nine of the eight of the top nine teams. There we go. Wow, math. Eight of the top nine teams have 20 wins already. And if you go down a little bit, team eight, team 10, team 11 all have 18 or 19 wins. It is stacked. It is close. It is exciting. Pop over to the Eastern Conference. The top eight seeds are all at 20 wins already with winning records. You got nine and 10 in the Hawks and Bulls, a little bit behind in the Wizards with 17. I mean, the standings are stacked. They're starting to cr create some separation here. Some of these teams are holding on. Some of these teams are on uh, are on the seesaw trying to figure out if they're going for it or they're blowing for it, right? They might be sending it in. They might be waving the towel and saying, what are we doing? Who are we? What is our plan for the next, uh, you know, two-thirds of the season or half of this? We're not, we're about halfway, actually. We're about halfway through the season right now. We're a couple games out of being halfway uh, through the season here. So, at the halfway point, who are you, All right? So my plan here on this podcast is to talk about the tiers of each conference and, and who belongs at the top, who in the middle is fighting and may get to the top, who's going to stay in the middle, which teams towards the middle bottom are going to end up pushing for that play-in or playoff berth 
and which teams at the bottom bottom are going to just say, screw this. We don't got it this year. Let's see what we can do and reboot and tank for Wemby, tank for Scoot Henderson, who deserves some uh, recognition as well outside of Victor Wembenyama. Uh, so that's the plan. That's what we're going to do because uh, right now the top is crowded on each of these conferences and uh, the East more so than the West. So let's start off with the Eastern Conference. Right now, the Boston Celtics, 26 and 12, pacing the Eastern Conference. You know, they've been on a little bit of a skid lately. And by skid, I mean they're playing 500 ball over the last 10 games. That's not good for them, but they're they're okay, I think, right? They're, they're still one of those teams that we can look at and trust. So I'm going to talk about that top tier. That top tier is going to start off with the Boston Celtics. It's going to include the Milwaukee Bucks, the Brooklyn Nets, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Philadelphia 76ers. I think looking at those five teams, you can confidently say they are way better than any of the teams below them. That includes the Knicks, includes the Pacers who have you know, outperformed expectation, the Heat who are surging a little bit here, won seven out of 10, uh, as well as the Hawks and the Bulls who are still, I don't know. I don't know what they are. We're going to get to them, right? So the, the top tier in the Eastern Conference is five teams deep. That's true. That's fact. You can argue if you really, really want, you can argue that the Sixers maybe aren't in that tier. I'm arguing that they are in that tier. They got some injuries. We're going to get to them. But with the Boston Celtics, especially over the last uh, two weeks here where they're five and five in the last 10 games, you know, people are asking questions. Are they, are they deep enough where they need to be? Do they have enough shooting? Do they have enough secondary scoring? Because right now, you know, you look through what their starting lineup is doing and you got uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown you know, nearly combining for 60 points. They're averaging 58 points combined, which is ridiculous. And they're playing incredible basketball. They're two all-stars. They're studs. Their third leading scorer is their bench player, Malcolm Brogdon. Hasn't started one game this year. He's played 32. He's only playing 23 minutes a game. And I'm curious if his health gets better, if it's going to be a move for them to switch Brogdon and Derek White. Now, I imagine, and I, I know from watching them, that it makes a lot of sense for him to be on the court when Tatum or Brown comes off. And that's probably why it makes the most sense to have him coming off the bench so they can finagle those lineups properly. I think they are good enough to continue to be the number one seed. I'm not a hundred percent sold yet that they are the runaway favorite of the Eastern conference. When it comes to playoff time, they do have the best duo right now, probably right. They probably do. With Tatum and Brown, we can talk about KD and Kyrie. We can talk about if Chris Middleton can get back. He's still injured. He's been missing a lot of time. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown might be the best duo in the NBA right now. And that's saying something because for a long time, we've been asking ourselves, can they be a LeBron Wade level player uh, or level duo? Darian Pickman, shout out. My buddy from TCNJ tweeted at me. Can Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum be the best duo since LeBron and Wade? And I, I went through it and I was like, you know what? If you account for the likes of KD and Steph, um, you know, not staying together for more than uh, just a couple of years, maybe you can make that argument. Maybe they can get there. Uh, my argument was you need at like 1.5 MVP candidates if you want to be on the LeBron and Wade level. Because in reality, those first two years in Miami, that's what we had. We had LeBron as the MVP and we had Wade right there with him. Wade was, was still that dude. Now in the in the latter part of the of the LeBron Miami Heat experience, Wade maybe fell off a little bit, couldn't quite go as many minutes, missed more games. It is what it is. They were still in the championship, um, but that that run that they had included basically 1.5 MVP candidates. Jalen Brown knocking at the door. You know, I I don't think he can get up there based off some of the performances that we have in the NBA right now. Right now, the MVP running includes at the top Jason Tatum, Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant, Giannis, Joel Embiid. Um, Luka Doncic, Donovan Mitchell now, John Morant, and, and Jalen Brown's down there. He, he's not going to make the top five right now. So they don't have 1.5 MVP, MVP candidates, but they have two of the most surefire all-stars that you can possibly imagine in this conference. So Celtics are really good. I'm not going to worry much about you know their 5-5 five and five record over the last 10. I think they're good enough to continue to be a top two seed in the Eastern Conference. I think they'll end up in one of those positions. With a big-time slide, I still believe they're a top four team in the Eastern Conference, but I do expect them to be a one or two seed in the East when it's all said and done. On to the Brooklyn Nets. I want to rank them second right now. You know, having the Boston Celtics first is fine. I think they deserve it after how they started the season, after how their their two stars have been so dang consistent this year. But the Nets deserve some credit. They really, really do. And I want to go back here 
to a podcast that I recorded just just in the first week of the season. Everybody was out here just crapping all over all over the Brooklyn Nets, man. Like they were getting crapped on. Like every single chance that people got, they were just giving it to them. This was five games into the season where I recorded this podcast. So I want to play this clip for you. So if you're listening on YouTube, I promise this. I did not mean to wear the same shirt that I had when I recorded this episode. I had this shirt on already and I found the video. I was like, oh, damn, I'm wearing the same shirt. Oh, well. It, it, the only thing you could realize is that the background's different. I got a different record up on the wall. If you're listening on the podcast, don't worry about it. It is what it is. But right here, this is me five games into the season talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Number three on my five NBA takes in the reg- first week of the regular season. I got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets because I want to tell people to pump the brakes a little bit on the Brooklyn Nets hate. Now, obviously, I understand why this team gets more hate than your average NBA franchise. The likes of Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons, and now apparently Steve Nash, they are not a very likable bunch at this point in time. People have their problems with KD. I don't. Whatever it is, what it is. People have their problems with Kyrie Irving. It's obvious why that's a thing. People have their problem with Ben Simmons. Also obvious why that's a thing. But if this was any other player other than Ben Simmons, he'd be getting a hardcore pass for the first three weeks of this season. Hardcore. This guy hasn't played basketball in well over a year. He comes out into his first action of the regular season and only puts up six points per game. Still getting his seven or eight assists. He fouls out a bunch. He's not really looking for the shot yet. We get it. We get it. But 99% of players who miss basketball for a year, they get two months of leash before they start getting crapped on by the media and other players and Twitter like crazy. This guy has been a successful basketball player for his entire career outside of the, a couple series in the playoffs here and there. Can we give him just a couple weeks to try to get into a rhythm and flow with two new teammates who demand the ball and don't exactly move it that well all the time? Can we give him some time? Because I hear a lot of people trying to take victory laps on the Brooklyn Nets already, trying to bury them like they have no chance to figure this thing out. Guess who else Who else is also just off a year-long injury? Joe Harris, one of the best shooters in the entire NBA. He's not playing up to snuff yet. He's not playing all the minutes he normally would. Seth Curry's still out. Do you know how much different this team looks when the shooting is right? Do you know how much different Ben Simmons looks when the shooting is right? Yeah, of course, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant are two of the most talented shooters in the NBA, but they're not the type of players who are running off a crap ton of screens, catching and shooting constantly. KD shoots a little bit more off the catch than Kyrie, but Kyrie's not a catch-and-shoot type of guy. We know what he does when he starts cooking, and he's shooting the lights out so far this year. But I don't think it's fair to judge Ben Simmons and this Brooklyn Nets team after three or four games knowing that they are a brand-new team together despite having a couple pieces back from last season. Joe Harris needs time to figure it out. No one's crapping on him yet, right? Joe Harris is playing 20 minutes minutes a game in two games. He only has five points per game as well. Who's crapping on Joe Harris? Nobody, because everyone knows that he just missed basically an entire season, and it's going to take time to get into a rhythm. Now, it's easy to hate on Ben Simmons, but it's also easy to forget how successful he's been as an NBA player. Now, he has to get from six points up to about 15 points per game. That is without a doubt. But can we give this guy who just missed an entire season a month to get his bearing straight with a new team? I think that's more than fair for an all-NBA-level player. Yes, I admit, it looks pretty sketchy so far for the Nets at times. And when you get 71% true shooting percentage at a Kyrie and KD in a given game where they score over 70 points combined and you lose, yes, that's a problem. The defense very much can be a problem this year for this team. But when he gets right and gets going, he increases the defensive floor a ton. And when he gets right and gets going, he helps this team score easy buckets in transition. There's a lot to figure out for Steve Nash and this Nets team, but I think it would be wise for people to lay off the victory laps and they got to pump the brakes on hating on the Brooklyn Nets. After a couple games in a season, it's so easy to say, 
just like I told you, this team's trash. Ben Simmons sucks. He can't do this. He can't do that. What, what are you going to say in the end of November when all of a sudden he's averaging 13-8-8 and on his way back up to that 17-point-per-game mark he's been at his whole career, and this team's rattling off wins on a much more consistent basis? You're going to come out here and say, oh, I was wrong? No, you're going to shut your mouth and not say anything because you're embarrassed. It's too early in the season for a team with too many moving parts and too many new faces and returning players from injuries to bury them and say they're trash. So watch where you're going with the Brooklyn Nets. Hey, because this team is talented. They have some shortcomings on the defensive talent on their roster, but offensively, when they get going, they're going to be fun to watch and they're going to be hard to stop. So I'm saying this, let's give it a month, maybe a month and a half and then reconvene, and we'll bury the Nets at the proper time, if need be. That was me. Five, well, I said three or four. I thought it was five games. Three or four games into the season. That was my take. It was my my five early season takes that I had to get off my chest after just three or four games. Now, I don't know if you, if you feel like that's me taking a victory lap. I wasn't 100% correct on that take. I was not. In fact, I was mentioning Steve Nash figuring it out. It's not Steve Nash figuring it out. I'd say that much. Jock Vaughn's done a wonderful job. Could I have predicted that? No. Was I right about Ben Simmons getting his numbers all the way back up to 15 points a game? No. Right now, he's averaging eight points a game, but he's up to six and a half rebounds, six assists. He's looking a lot better. He's looking more fluid. He's looking more comfortable. I tried to tell you guys, there was no reason to come out and bury the Nets other than the fact that you don't like their players. You don't like Kevin Durant. You don't like Kyrie Irving because he's easy to dump on. You don't like Ben Simmons because he came up small in big moments. They're good. And Joe Harris is back and looking a little bit better. Seth Curry is back and doing what Seth Curry does, which is shoot the lights out. I mean, he's only averaging nine points per game, but Seth Curry is 40% from three again. Joe Harris is almost 40% from three. Now, did I expect the Utah Watanabe? Uh, just insane shooting, especially from the corner where he seems to not miss. I think he's shooting 98.9%. It's exaggeration, obviously, but he's like 65% from the corner. No, I didn't, I didn't expect Utah, but I expected this team to figure it out. And I didn't expect a 12-game win streak that got snapped against the Bulls on, on Wednesday night, but I expected them to get better. And I knew after watching those first couple games, that there was a route for this team to get where they needed to go. Now, again, this is partially me taking a victory lap. Maybe I hit a ground rule double, and I'm, I'm just jogging into second. This team hasn't made it home yet. They have a lot to do. They have championship aspirations. And to all you people out there who were laughing your ass off, making fun of this team, saying they're a joke franchise, saying they're still little brother, saying they can't get anything right, hope you're admitting that you were wrong because you were you were wrong man this team is now tied for second in the eastern conference they just won 12 out of 13 games they're a good freaking team and Kyrie has been playing amazing basketball Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant if you don't like him as a person that's your problem you better like him as a basketball player because he's one of the best we got so I just want I wanted to play that clip from from a couple months ago now just to say, remember, early in the season, even at this point in the season, a lot of things change, and a lot of things get better for teams and worse for others. All this hype about the Indiana Pacers, they're still hanging around. They're still in the mix. Are they going to last forever? The Utah Jazz with the one seed for the first three weeks of the season, was that going to last? Now, guess what? They're the 10 seed now and falling. They've lost five in a row and seven out of 10. Everyone likes to take a little mini preseason take something they said on Twitter and dunk on it so hard when they first have the chance, the first opportunity they get. Yeah, Ben Simmons sucks. He's trash. He can't play basketball. Guess what? He can play basketball, and his impact has been very good for this team after the first couple weeks. He missed a season of basketball, people. A full season, just like Clay Thompson. Everyone's trying to go on Twitter now. He scored 56 points. He missed almost two years of basketball. He had a torn ACL and a torn Achilles. Of course he looks slower. Can we give these people some time? I get it, man. That's not what this is all about. 
what it should be. It should be at least a little bit, right? And there's people out there who were saying, you know, give Clay time, he'll figure it out. And even those people were backtracking. But you got to remember, this stuff takes time when people are injured. It really does. And the Nets, man, they are a true, true contender. Milwaukee Bucks also in this tier. Mentioned them really quickly. This comes down to Chris Middleton, man. You know, Joe Ingles is back. He's going to start giving them a lift defensively, offensively, whatever. Giannis is Giannis. They have enough depth. They're good enough. They are, they, you know, they're a solid team. But they need Chris Middleton. They need him bad. They really do. And without Chris Middleton, for them to hang on, to this top two C, top three C range is going to be difficult because the Cavs are on their ass. The Sixers are going to be on their ass. And the Bucks just need that. They need that more than anything else. They need Chris Middleton back because with Chris Middleton, they are complete, they are dominant, and they are not to be messed with. So the Bucks are hanging on tight. They're playing good enough basketball. They're 25 and 13. Good for them. If they want to win another championship, they need Chris Middleton. He got hurt in the playoffs last year, and those playoffs were not the same without him. Say that I said it last year. Say it again, and I'll say it again. Cleveland Cavaliers, man, no joke. We had varying expectations of kind of about what was going to go down with the Cleveland Cavaliers this year, right? Was Donovan Mitchell going to put them above? Uh, uh, was he going to move the needle? Was he going to put them above the hump? Looks like he has, man. This guy's playing inspired basketball. This guy's playing probably the best basketball of his career, which has had a bunch of incredible runs. Cavs are no joke. Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are an absolute problem. Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are an absolute problem. Do they need to shore up the three spot? Do they need to shore up the bench a little bit? Absolutely, they do. Maybe there's a move for them to make. They've obviously used a ton of assets on that Donovan Mitchell trade. We know what Larry Markkinen's doing out there in Utah right now. But man, there ain't no buyer's remorse in Cleveland. I'll tell you that much. There might be a lack of buyer's. What's the opposite of buyer's remorse? Non-buyer's remorse? That's happening in New York, man. And we'll get to the Knicks in a minute, even though there's positives there. But the, the Cleveland Cavaliers are no joke. They're in that top tier. The Philadelphia 76ers, they're in that top tier. James Harden doing what he has to do. He's making plays. He's actually shooting the ball much better as of late. Joel Embiid continues to be an MVP candidate and a top five, six player in this league. Maybe six or seven if you really want to get frisky with it. But my man's averaging 33, 10, and four and a half assists on the efficient shooting that he does. James Harden up to 22. But this, what this team needs is to figure out Tyrese Maxey's role. When he comes back from injury, they need to figure out who he is. Are they going to move him to the bench and keep DeAnthony Melton in that starting lineup, which he's done a very good job with. He's playing better defense. That's necessary for them. Because when you got James Harden and you got Joel Embiid, who's a great defender, but you know he can't be out there all the time. He can't do everything himself when... You know, Tyrese Maxey and James Harden are turnstiles at the top of the key. So DeAnthony Melton's very important to them, but I want to see what Tyrese Maxey is when he's back for them. And if he moves to the bench and becomes, you know, that spark plug six man who can really change series, he might be a closer for them, but I don't know if his best place for them is in the starting lineup. So that's interesting to me for the Philadelphia 76ers. And I think Melton is kind of earning his spot there as, uh, as that starting guard next to James Harden. All right, on to that next tier. This one's a little bit interesting here because you got that middle tier here where 6 through 10, they all probably think that they're the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. That includes the New York Knicks, the Indiana Pacers, who are all 21 and 18, the Miami Heat, who are surging at 20 and 18, the Atlanta Hawks, and the Chicago Bulls, who are a little bit behind. Let's start with the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks, man, they're having an interesting season because Julius Randle's playing awesome. Jalen Brunson's everything we signed up for and more. RJ Barrett's banged up currently with the with the hand injury, but he should be back. He was playing his best basketball of the season before the injury. And off the bench, Tom Thibodeau has finally pushed some of those buttons that are getting people really excited. But I want to talk about two people in particular who are exciting me the most on this team. Now, obviously, the Julius Randle engagement and effort that we're seeing on both ends of the floor is of utmost importance for this team to be successful. But I got to talk about Quentin Grimes and Mitchell Robinson. To start with Mitchell Robinson, an absolute force, freak of nature force on the glass on both sides of the ball. I mean, my guy is only averaging nine rebounds a game, but when you watch him, you know the impact is bigger. You know his impact on the offensive glass has been insane. 
Does he get a little frustrated from time to time about his involvement with the offense? Absolutely. And maybe he should. Maybe he should. I don't know. Maybe we should give him a touch or two in the post just to make him feel involved. I think that's a good possibility. But what he's doing defensively, what he's doing rebounding is incredibly impactful for this team. And I walk away so impressed from his energy and his efforts down low, battling with the, with the best of the bigs in the NBA on a night-in, night-out basis. And a lot of those rebounds that Julius Randle's cleaning up are thanks to Mitchell Robinson. You know, Julius Randle's averaging 10 rebounds on his own. That's a, a whole rebound more than Mitch Robinson. You can thank Mitch for that. right? So I'm impressed with Mitch, and I'm excited to see where he goes from here because he's still young. He's still super-duper bouncy and still very impactful. Quentin Grimes, though. This is the man for me. Quentin Grimes does it for me. This guy is flashing all sorts of stuff that if you're not tapped into the New York Knicks, if you're not watching Knicks games, you may be missing some of it. You may just be hearing about his, his three-point prowess where he's shooting you know, 37% on five attempts a game, and he has some of those games where he's five or six, five from six, uh, five of six, I'm sorry, and, and he's just cooking from deep. But what I've been most impressed about is not the shooting and the defense, which we expected, but the playmaking. This guy has had the ability or found the ability to put the ball on the ground. You know, he's averaging two assists per game, but some of those assists are super impressive. They're not just flow of the offense assist where he's catching it on the top of the key, swinging it out to the wing, and somebody's hitting a wide open three. He's putting the ball on the ground. He's attacking the rim, finishing at the rim, and making amazing dump-off passes and great read passes inside the paint to guys like Mitch and Julius Randle and, and Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein. Man, Quentin Grimes, dude, I'll tell you this. I, I tweeted something out the other day. It felt crazy. I wrote that it felt crazy, but I just wanted to put it out there. Can Quentin Grimes be, you know, 85% of a Devin Booker, right? And just to put him in a Devin Booker conversation is, is nuts. I get that because Devin Booker is one of the best talents we have in the NBA. But Quentin Grimes, man, with all this stuff that he's flashing from an offensive perspective that's not just, uh, you know, catch and shoot, not just off-screen shoot. The off-the-dribble stuff, the the elbow jumpers, the getting to the rim is more than we expected, and I want to see where this man goes because I think he has a lot in his bag that's going to grow from here. He looks like he doesn't just belong as a 3 and D guy, but as an actual top-tier player, top-tier starter on a good team. Every team in the league wants, wants a Quentin Grimes on their team. But we're going to reach a point soon where we can't just say, oh, this 3 and D guy is very good. We're going to have to say this basketball player, this small forward, this shooting guard, whatever you want to call him, is good and gets the job done at both ends, and he can do it all on offense. I'm pumped to see where Quentin Grimes goes. So as far as the Knicks are concerned, they aren't, they aren't going down. They ain't tanking this season. You know, there, there was a point before their win streak where they were under 500, and it was getting a little weird. And is Brunson going to do enough to keep this offense going? Is Randall still falling into that trap of, of going ISO Randall too often? Is RJ Barrett going to get more efficient ever? All those things were questions about a month and a half ago. They're not really questions right now. This team believes that they're the sixth best team in the Eastern Conference. And I think outside of the Miami Heat, they are the sixth best team. Or they're, they're the one that belongs in that slot more so than anybody. So this team is not going down. Their absolute floor now to me is the eight or nine seed. That's the absolute floor. And the ceiling is the six seed. That's the unfortunate part about these tiers. And that's why I made it so clear that the Eastern Conference top tier is those first five teams. They are above everyone else. They're head and shoulders above everyone else. The only spot left to make the playoffs without going through the playing tournament is the six seed. Are the Knicks that team? I think they're better than the Pacers. I think they're better than the Bulls. I mean, they're playing a lot better than the Hawks, and I think their chemistry is a lot better than the Hawks, though the Hawks uh, roster is probably just as talented, if not more. The Heat are the one that's scary. The Heat are the team that deserves some love and deserves some admiration because them and the Clippers, that sometimes it just doesn't even matter who's out there for them. They're just getting the job done. And with Jimmy Butler's health, this year not being phenomenal. He's only played 24 games. It's difficult. It's difficult. But I, if you remember back to the podcast last year, I did a whole segment, a whole show almost on Bam Adebayo. I think I did 20 minutes on the topic where Bam Adebayo has to take the route of a Nikola Jokic. 
And again, that's one of those comparisons that sounds crazy. Nikola Jokic is my favorite player in the NBA right now. I absolutely adore watching him. I think he's the top two or three player in the league, if not number one. Bam Adebayo is not, not Nikola Jokic. He's not. I mean, he's way better on defense. He's not the offensive juggernaut that, that Nikola Jokic is. He's not the passer that Nikola Jokic is. I'm not arguing that. But I wanted to see Bam put his head down and become a scorer. He's a very good playmaker for them at the elbow, running the offense through him, moving the ball, setting screens, doing what he has to do. But I knew that he had more offense in him. And right now he is their leading scorer. Him and Tyler Hero both at 21.5 points per game. And he's proven more of that scoring prowess. And he's still not shooting three-pointers at all. He doesn't even take one attempt per game. He hasn't hit more than one or two this season. He doesn't do it. But inside the arc, inside the paint, he's flashing more. And I'm excited to see that because this dude's a serious talent. Bam Adebayo is a serious, serious talent. And I think he has even more room to grow offensively. Part of it's their system, especially when Jimmy's in there. He's going to get his. Tyler Hero's probably their second-best scorer behind Jimmy. He's going to get his shots. Kyle Lowry's going to get shots, even though he, he doesn't always want to take them, it seems. Bam is right there, man. 15 and a half shots per game, 54% field goal percentage. This dude's got it. And I'm happy to see some of the growth that he's made offensively. They're going up. They're going to fight the Knicks for that sixth seed. I think it's a heat Knicks race for the sixth spot. And whoever doesn't get there is going to be disappointed because they're going to have to go through the play-in t- uh, tournament. They're going to have to play the Hawks, play the Bulls, maybe play the Raptors or Wizards or the Pacers if they hang on. And it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle. So, uh, I mean, I can't wait to see where that goes. I think the Knicks have a chance to hold on to that one, but I ain't nervous about the Pacers. I'm not very nervous about the Hawks, and I'm not nervous about the Bulls. I'm nervous about the Miami Heat. On the Pacers, Hawks, and Bulls front, this is uh, house money for the Indiana Pacers, if you will. It's all icing on the cake. They're not supposed to be this good. I don't think they're going to be this good continuously. Then they're going to have some sort of fall off where they end up being around 500, maybe a little bit below. That might get them into the 9-10 of the play-in tournament but I don't really have much faith in the Pacers. I'm not going to spend much time on them. The Atlanta Hawks, on the other hand, they're a team where, man, it's hard to read. You know, it, it's really difficult to figure out what the hell is you're going to get night to night. You're going to have nights where Bogdan Bogdanovich, who's back now, he's played 14 games. He's scoring 17 points per night. He's absolutely enormous to their offensive fluidity, right? We always talk about Trey Young, and despite the numbers, just not quite feeling the continuous, con- continuous, yeah, whatever. The con- continuous energy from that team, right? Trey Young and Dejounte Murray. Your turn, my turn. Your turn, my turn. Trey Young, my turn, my turn, my turn. That stuff's not always easy to play with, right? It's not always easy to to get the chemistry up when when that's how your offense looks. He's averaging twenty seven points, ten assists. Yeah, it's amazing. But we all know everyone who watches basketball and watches the Hawks team and watches Trey Young. We all say it. We all see it. We all know for this team to be at their best, he can't be Luka Doncic. It's not going to work. There's always been comparisons to Steph Curry for Trey Young. They shouldn't exist. Outside of the shooting range and the difficulty of shots that they hit, I don't want to hear it because Steph Curry gives it up and runs around off screens, sets screens for other people, passes more, is a more willing teammate. Trey Young does not possess that stuff, and he needs to. If this team wants to hit a bigger stride, Bogdan Bogdanovich is a huge portion to allowing that to happen and allowing him to take a step back. Because DeJounte Murray is playing with him a lot, even though they they scatter them as much as possible. They both start. They both play 35 minutes. Of course, they're going to be on the court together a whole damn lot. You know, Bogdan and Bogdanovich doesn't normally start, and that's okay. They need him off the bench to do what he has to do as a creator, as a shot maker, to give Trey a reason to play off ball. He needs that reason. And without that, they're going to be a nine seed. They're going to be an eight seed in the play-in tournament. They have what it takes to be the six seed. They are a talented enough roster to be the six seed in the Eastern Conference. AJ Griffin's been a good rookie. Clint Capella is a good center. John Collins and DeAndre Hunter, good players. What's going on? Why are they below 500? The chemistry ain't right. Maybe their coach ain't right. So they have to make a decision. Is Dave McMillan our guy to coach this team? Is John Collins finally going to get traded for a shooter or another defender or whatever he needs to do? Onyeka Okong was just as important to this team as most other guys on the team. So what are they doing? Who are the Hawks? Uh, They're not a tank team. 
obviously you're not a tank team with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray and Bogdan Bogdanovich and Clint Capella and et cetera. You're not a tank team. You're going up or you're trying to. I don't see I don't see their route the way they play right now to go that far up. They've lost four in a row, lost seven out of ten. That's who the Atlanta Hawks are. The Bulls, on the other hand, the bottom of this middle tier. What are you doing, Chicago? Man, you guys grind out all these crazy tough wins. You play up to your competition. You play down to your competition. We all know this team's end game. Or maybe, actually, I shouldn't say end game. We all know this team's end result. Even if they make the final playoff tournament, what are they doing? They're getting smacked. Now, you can say that about the Knicks, too. You can say that about the Heat, maybe. Maybe the Heat have a better chance. The Hawks might have a better chance. The Bulls don't have a chance, man. Move somebody. Do something. When this team started off so hot and DeMar was in the MVP conversation about a year ago and, and, and Lonzo Ball was still playing and Alex Caruso was doing his thing and Zach Levine was fully healthy and going, oh, this team's exciting. This team's a five seed. This team's a four seed. This is going to be fun. They're, they're, they can beat people. They can hang with people offensively now. No, they can't. I mean, they can. They're not going to do it consistently enough and they can't play good enough defense. The Bulls, make your trades, get off these players, go back down, regroup, revitalize and come back stronger on the bottom of this group here in the Western Eastern conference, not going to spend much time at all here actually, because it's pretty obvious what, what's going to be said. The wizards, they're, they're like the poor man's bulls. We're talking about everybody we can trade on, on the wizards. Kuzma's getting traded. Bradley Beal's getting traded. Is Porzingis going to get traded? Who's actually playing good basketball right now? I don't know, man. Wizards, you're, you're not a top seven, eight, nine team. You might be 10. Fight for 10 all you want. You ain't going nowhere. It is what it is. Keep fighting. Keep playing good basketball. I appreciate that. I don't want to see teams tank. It makes the, the, the league weird. But you make your trades and move on. Raptors. Raptors are a tough one for me because I, I love a lot of their players. I'm a big Scotty Barnes fan. I like Pascal Siakam. I saw him light up the Knicks to end that winning streak. I, I saw, um, I've seen... Uh, Fred Van Fleet kind of struggled this year a little bit. I've seen OG Ananobi be really good this year, but not really mattering. Boucher playing all right. Nick Nurse playing eight guys into the ground every single night. Like, I don't know what the Raptors deal is right now, but they've punted seasons before. I think they might be a candidate to do so again. You know, they punted a season just two years ago with Scotty Barnes or before Scotty Barnes and ended up with a great pick. That might be their best option. That might be their best option. Orlando Magic, Charlotte Hornets, Detroit Pistons. They're the bottom tier. They're tanking for Wemby. They're tanking for Scoot Henderson. Some of those teams have nice players. Obviously, Detroit shut down Cade Cunningham. So that's that's you know, that's all you need to know about their season. They're 10 and 30. The Hornets aren't very good. LaMelo might be fun in the second half, but it is what it is. Magic got a decent roster, but they would benefit from being in the lottery again. They would. They're getting good players. They're more talented than they were, but the Magic are the Magic. Let's move on to the Western Conference and talk about the top of the, the of the Western Conference here, the top tier there. I'm saying the top tier is only three teams, and none of them are your traditional powers that you so expect. The Warriors aren't there. The Suns aren't there. The Lakers obviously aren't, aren't there. It's the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans. That's the big three. That's the big three of the Western Conference right now. Nuggets and the Grizzlies are tied at 24 and 13. Pelicans just a half game behind. Mavericks two and a half games behind uh, from the first and two, first sec, uh, and second seed. But I'm saying the top three there right now, how we are currently constituted, that's the top tier of the West. And I think the best team in the West right now is the Denver Nuggets. And it's because they have the best performer in the NBA, Nikola Jokic. And they're healthy or getting healthy. Michael Porter back for a couple weeks. He's starting to hit shots. Jamal Murray every week is starting to look more and more comfortable off the injury. Another thing to that Ben Simmons point, if you're still hanging around from that first segment, did you hear anybody crapping on Jamal Murray for looking bad? You hear anybody saying Jamal Murray's trash because he didn't look good after his injury? I didn't. I didn't. Because everyone expects him after missing all that time to have a real grace period to figure this thing out. Guess what? He's starting to figure it out. He is. He's getting it. He's getting it together. He's starting to make more plays. He's hitting more shots. He's up to 18 points per game. You know, Michael Porter's at 17 points per game. This team's good, man. And the revelations that I want to talk about 
on the Denver Nuggets, outside of Nikola Jokic, of course, is Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon. When Bruce Brown signed with the Denver Nuggets, I think we all looked at each other and said, oh my God, it's a perfect fit. If he was getting good looks with Brooklyn, who don't even pass the ball that well, what's Nikola Jokic going to do with him? And, and if you watch a Nuggets game, which if you don't, I recommend that you do. It's a great time. It really is. Bruce Brown's all over the place. He's hitting more, more jump shots, which is huge for him. I mean, Bruce Brown's shooting 40% from three right now because he's getting open looks like crazy. He's still doing all his funky stuff as a really small, big, I don't know, what position is he? A small forward, a power forward, a, a small center? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Bruce Brown's making plays. And Aaron Gordon finally, finally is in the position that suited him since day one of him entering this league. It's the fourth best player on a good team who's not particularly relied upon to do anything himself, but to just create plays from others. And the chemistry that is seen between Jokic and Gordon on a night-in, night-out basis with some of these dunks and these finishes that Gordon is so talented with around the rim, it is an absolute joy to watch. And it is absolutely the reason why he's currently their third leading scorer at 17 points per game, averaging seven rebounds, shooting a great percentage, 58% from the field. And he's shooting 37% from three because he's getting open shots. He's only taking two and a half per game. Beautiful thing to watch the Denver Nuggets play basketball. And if you don't do it, I recommend that you give it a shot. And to all you people out there on Twitter who still don't want to say Nikola Jokic is the best this or the best that or doesn't deserve an MVP because he got two in a row, cry me a freaking river. Cry me a river. Jokic is incredible. And everybody who craps on him or says he doesn't deserve this or doesn't deserve that, do yourself a favor and watch him. Because if you continue to talk this way, you're going to continue to tell on yourself that you don't watch the best player in the NBA play basketball. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Moving on in the top tier, Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant, him. He is him. We know this. The Grizzlies are good. The Grizzlies are really good, actually. They're awesome. And you got to watch them, too, because John Morant's super fun. This team plays so freaking hard. I think the scariest thing about the Memphis Grizzlies is Dylan Brooks playing well because as soon as he starts playing well, he starts doing crazy stuff, like like legit crazy stuff. You don't want to see that. You know, he starts chucking up these threes like he's Trey Young, and then it gets really ugly. But besides the point, this team has continuity. This team plays incredibly hard. This team has depth. And all they need right now is a healthy Desmond Bain playing like he was to start this season because Desmond Bain was averaging 22 points per game, five rebounds, four assists, Desmond Bain was also him, lowercase him, if John Morant is capital him. They need Desmond Bain to reach their full potential. But as we know from this team, in the regular season, they are going to keep doing what they have to do. The Pelicans are one of these teams that's teetering just because of health. You know, Brandon Ingram's missed a lot of time. Zion just got a little injury. we got to see how long he's going to be out. Obviously, without Zion and Brandon Ingram, how are they going to sustain the success that they've had so far? It's going to be really difficult. It's going to be a lot of heavy lifting for CJ McCollum. I don't know if they can do that. But when they're healthy, they belong in that top tier. And if they start getting healthy soon, which they should, they're going to stay there. The team that's most likely to crack that top tier, who kind of starts off this, this second middle tier here, or the second top tier in the West, that's the Dallas Mavericks, man. We know what Luka Doncic has been doing. It's been so incredible, so impressive. But more importantly... This team is starting to pull other things together. The Christian Wood starting minutes have been a revelation for this offense's spacing and for them to just be more consistent. He's up to 18 points per game, and he's playing really good basketball. The Spencer Dinwiddie-Tim Hardaway combination has been very helpful for them late in games when Luke is getting double, triple, quadruple teamed out here. They're doing what they have to do. The problem for this team is depth beyond that. In the regular season, you can get away with it with Luka Doncic's 40% usage rate and his freaking, you know, 23 shots per game, which he's taken and shooting 50%. He's shooting 36% from three. He's shooting incredible. He's insane, right? Like I talked about watching Jokic. Watch Luka Doncic one night. You're going to be like, holy hell, this is crazy. This guy's just doing this all the time. Like he just does this every night. Like, yeah, he does. Now, is that the best way for them to be? moved into that top, top tier of the Western Conference? I'm not sure. I think it's good enough in the regular season to get them there. But if they want to win big in the playoffs, they need depth. 
to show up. And right now, that's where I question them. Because if Dinwiddie doesn't have it, you're relying on Tim Hardaway and Dorian Finney-Smith to do some crazy stuff. It's not likely. It's not likely. They got a couple uh, spark plug type shooters like Reggie Bullock and, and Davis Bertans and whatnot. This team needs more. I don't know what their move is. They don't have a bunch of tradable contracts. They don't even have all their picks. And that's why I'm holding them down from that tippy top tier. Even if Luca by himself can carry them near it, I'm going to hold them below that until I see a true consistency and depth from this team that allows Luca to have an off night, allows Luca to be triple teamed all night and for the other guys to do everything they can to keep them above water. So I'm going to keep them at the top of the second tier, which also includes the Sacramento Kings, somehow the LA Clippers, the Warriors, Trailblazers, and Suns. That is the middle top tier of the Western Conference. It's a big one because all these teams are decent to good to very good. Some of them are unhealthy. Some of them are young and upcoming. Some of them are still figuring out. Maybe some of them are playing above their heads. But that's the middle top tier. And the Sacramento Kings, man, they deserve a lot of credit. And the one thing I want to kind of revisit for all of us, all of us uh, NBA fans who have been following this sport for a long time, talking about this sport for a long time, there's one man on their team who I think universally we can kind of all vibe with the path of the takes, the path of the takes that surrounded De'Aaron Fox. Because coming out of Kentucky, I mean, this was a guy that everybody loved. The speed was insane. The competitive nature was insane. Some of the touch he showed around the rim was very good. The shot was all right. The defense looked really good. And then he had this really weird path on a really dysfunctional franchise of, uh, that's the Sacramento Kings that took him all over the place. A guy who was universally loved, thought of as a good point guard in the draft, a great point guard in the draft, if you will, then comes into the league, shows some of that stuff, kind of fights and has a decent season early. They almost make the playoffs. They still haven't gotten their streak uh, taken away yet, right? What's it been? 16 years now? It's been a while. And then all of a sudden, we're all out on De'Aaron Fox. All collectively kind of like, I don't know if he plays the right way. I don't know if he has what it takes to lead a team as their true point guard. I don't know if De'Aaron Fox is the answer for the Kings. Maybe they should have traded him and not Tyrese Halliburton, which, again, maybe we're still right on that that front because Tyrese Halliburton is is dope. He's awesome. Wally Zerbiak, what are you talking about? That's a deep cut for Knicks fans right there who, who heard Wally Zerbiak all of a sudden just trashing Tyrese Halliburton for no reason. What, are you mad because the Knicks didn't take him? They could have taken him. I'm mad the Knicks didn't take him. I'm not saying that he sucks. Tyrese Halliburton's awesome. <laughs> He's really freaking good, man. Right? So the Kings with DeMontis Bonus and De'Aaron Fox and some of their depth and and uh, Davion Mitchell and you know Kevin Herter's playing good basketball for them. They're good. They are not near the top, top tier yet of the Western Conference. I'm hoping that they stay firmly in this tier. Do I think they're going to end up as a top six seed in the West? I don't. All that being said, I don't think that. I think the Warriors, the Suns, and the Clippers are still above them, but the Kings deserve their their flowers. The Clippers, man, I got I gotta say, I, I mentioned earlier when talking about the Miami Heat, like that, I think of these two teams similarly because it, it almost doesn't matter who's playing for them sometimes, right? Like Paul George has played twenty nine games, he's missed a handful. Kawhi Leonard's played sixteen games, he's missed a couple handfuls. This team has been led by Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris and John Wall, and Ivaka, Ivaka Subats. Like, what? Terrence Mann. Like, these are the players that, on any given night when you turn on the Clippers, are the only players you're going to see. Now, Paul George has played almost 30 games. He's been there a lot. He, he's averaging 24 points a game. He's having a very good season. Yeah, you know, he's shooting 39% from three. Paul George is still good. He's missed, like, 15 games, though, this year. Kawhi Leonard's missed double that. So, <laughs> when I'm thinking about the Clippers, I don't know what to think about. I don't know what to wrap my arms around. But then I look at this team and say, oh, they're the six seed? They're three games above 500? They just beat who? They're hanging with who without, without Kawhi? That's good. The Clippers are good. And I, I got to give credit to Ty Lue. Yeah, I heard Low Post was doing some little talks about Coach of the Year. Like, oh, does Jock Vaughn 
could he be the first interim coach to win coach of the year or something like that? And I'm like, and they're kind of running through some of the, the candidates for coach of the year. And they don't mention Ty Lue and that's fine. They're, they're 21 and 18. I get it. But Ty Lue has been so good at pushing the right buttons and getting the most out of his players that I don't think he gets enough credit. He really doesn't because in playoff series, we've seen him, you know, out coach people, out strategy people, out game plan people, out substitute people and do what he has to do to win games. And now where you got 16 games for Kawhi Leonard this year and the first couple were ugly. He's starting to look a lot, a lot better, like a lot better. First couple of games for Kawhi were ugly. He's shooting 27% from three right now, still at this point. And yet they're still hanging around. So that being said, you know, I'm not trusting them to get right soon, but I think that if they're right, and we've said this so many times about them, they are a contender. They are one of those teams that if you're looking to see Western Conference champion odds and you see the Clippers down below the Nuggets, Grizzlies, Pelicans, Mavericks, Warriors, Suns, and the Clippers are right next to the Kings at plus 20-something hundred, that's a pick that I don't mind. Because all it takes for them is to is to be playing their best basketball in May, and they can beat anybody. They can play with anybody. Can you bank on it? No. That's why it's a flyer. That's why you take them as the sixth or seventh best odds in the Western Conference. They deserve credit. Because when you're running out Paul George and Reggie Jackson as your two best players night in, night out half the time, or Norman Powell and Paul George as your two best players night in, night out, you're relying on Marcus Morris for 30 plus minutes a game. And you're still winning like that. Man, the Clippers deserve credit. All right. The Warriors and the Phoenix Suns. I'm going to put them in the same bucket. They're right in this middle top tier. They can get to where they need to be. They can be a top four seed in this conference, but we know with injuries, Devin Booker's out for the Suns. Steph Curry's out for the Warriors. You can't really look at this team truthfully until they're right, until they're healthy. What they have to do is just tread water. They have to stay above 500. They have to win six out of of 10. You know, go six and four every 10 games. That's going to do the trick for them until they get healthy. And then when Steph is back, which should be relatively soon, Devin Booker, I'm not exactly sure on his timetable, they're going to be fine. I'm not sitting here and worrying about the Warriors. If anything, I think they've gotten some positives during the injuries. I think Jonathan Kaminga's surge has been legit and important for them. I think Clay Thompson just getting more and more touches and not forcing shots because he's not touching the ball enough, right? Like we all got that vibe, right? Like Clay Thompson, since he's been back from his injuries, he, he wanted to get those shots up. He wanted to get his points up a little bit. And I'm not saying from a selfish perspective, but from the point of him actually feeling a rhythm, feeling a flow, feeling like himself, he was trying to shoot. And then you watch that game where he scored 56 and, and you realize like, oh, we're seeing more of the old clay. And what it took was Steph actually being out. Because now with Steph out, the ball is moving just as much because that's what they do. And Clay's not saying, oh, I, I touched it. I got to shoot it, right? Because it's been so much of when Steph, Wiggins, Poole, Clay are all on the court together with Draymond or Looney, like Poole's touching it a lot. Steph's touching it a lot. Wiggins getting a lot of looks. Dre obviously touching it a lot, not looking for shots. Clay, when he got in the corner, he's going up. He got off the, off the screen. He's shooting, right? Fade away, tough shot, one dribble, shoot, fade away from the corner. Like that is the next level for Clay. What he needed to hammer out from the injury first was getting back into the movement, giving the ball up, running off screen, setting screens, doing all that stuff that the Warriors do that makes them great. And I think they're getting there. And this could end up being a positive for them moving forward once they're back at full strength with Wiggins and Steph Curry. Suns. You know, same thing. A little bit of chemistry issues right now. It's always a little weird watching DeAndre Ayton not be too happy with whatever's going on in Phoenix. You know, him and Mikael Bridges got into it a couple times. Obviously, they have a, a, a dead space contract in Jay Crowder, who's just not a part of the team right now, even though he's under contract. That's kind of a, a bummer for them right now. But this team is good. They're, they're staying afloat. They're losing some games they're not supposed to lose. I'm not worried. When Devin Booker comes back and is playing good and they're losing games and they're winning four out of ten, I'll be worried, but I'm not worried just yet. For the Portland Trailblazers and Utah Jazz, they're in this range right now. Portland's at eight, Utah's at 10. I'll even throw the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm going to throw them right into that bracket as well. 
Jazz are going down, man. Lost five in a row. They've lost seven out of ten. They're good. They're a nice story. They're I, I shouldn't even say they're good. They're decent. They're a nice story. They got decent players. They're going to compete. They're going to be in the lottery. They're going to be in the lottery. Whether it's the Timberwolves that overtake them, which I expect them to, whether the Lakers get uh, AD back and and start doing something, I don't know what it's going to be. I, I assume it's going to be the Timberwolves who overtake the Utah Jazz. I'm not saying the Jazz need to sell everything and get more picks and whatever. They got enough picks. With the Gobert trade and the Mitchell trade, they got enough picks. Play out the season. Continue to, to build the pieces that you have. But you ain't going up. You're going down, and that's okay. That's more than okay. They already won the trade with Minnesota and Gobert by a million. <laughs> right? So that's that. Portland, a little more interesting. They got Dame Lillard on their team. When you got Dame Lillard on the team, you're going for it. This is how it works. Well, he's out for the year. You're going for it. Anthony Simons has been awesome. Jeremy Grant deserves a lot of love. He's been playing really good offensive basketball and can still do what he does on defense. Unfortunately, they're a 9-10. They're a 9-10 in this Western Conference, and I don't see a path for them to get to 5-6-7. I see a path for Sacramento to stay there. I see a path for the LA Clippers to stay there or get higher. I see a path for Golden State and Phoenix to get higher. I don't see it for Portland. I think their peak is an eight seed. I think their floor is a 10, 11 seed, but I think they will make the play in tournament. And again, it's tough to watch that with Damian Lillard when you have that guy, when you have that assassin, but that's the reality of their roster. That's the reality of who they are as a basketball team right now. And I, I want to say that's okay, but I don't know that it is okay. You know, it, it's kind of tough. It's one of those situations where they're playing decent basketball. They're hanging around They're 500 or above but no one's getting getting scared about playing Portland. No one is game planning regular season games to play Portland. They don't have enough talent on their roster to do anything more than what where they are right now. And, and that's the unfortunate truth about the Portland Trailblazers. The Minnesota Timberwolves, they're starting to figure it out. Anthony Edwards, killing it lately. Whether it be the lack of Carl Anthony Towns, whether it be just general spacing, whether it be him and Gobert finally getting some chemistry. All those things can be true. Some of those things can be true. The one and only thing that matters is that Anthony Edwards continues to blossom into a actual star in this league. Is he going to be an all-star this year? It's going to be really tough. It's going to be really tough because there's tons of really good players in this league. He'll be benefited by being a forward, not a guard. I mean, being a guard in the West right now. Jesus, that's difficult. Like Shea Gilgis-Alexander putting up stupid numbers in the Western Conference. Is he a lock to be an all-star? Probably, probably, but it's not, it's not easy, man. This, this Western conference is stacked with guards. John Morant, Steph Curry, like Luka Doncic is a guard. You got dudes out here. You got Devin Booker. If he comes back and plays enough games to be an all-star, but Anthony Edwards is a, is a, is a forward and he's going to have a chance then to be an all-star again. He's going to have a chance to continue to grow into the leader of this offense. I think Nas Reed has been really nice. Uh, implement off the bench since Carlton Towns got uh, went down with his injury. I think this team is decent. I think they should be going for it. Obviously, they traded all their freaking picks forever for Rudy Gobert. They are going to be going up, but their ceiling to me is an eight seed. Their ceiling to me might be a seven seed, but they need to figure a lot of things out. They do need Carlton Towns back. I know it's been kind of nice for them to kind of create more space and give people more touches and whatnot. But when he actually is playing well and he's engaged, we know what he can do, and they need him to do so. The rest of the Western Conference, man, the Lakers are the Lakers. We don't need to say anything about the damn Lakers, man. Anthony Davis out, injured, sucks. Their shooting's not that good. I mean, LeBron's playing his ass off every night for what? I don't know, man. Without Anthony Davis, this team is not even a play-in team. And that's the sad, sad truth of what this franchise is right now. And part of that has to do with guess who, guess who their third leading scorer is this year. I want you to guess everyone out there listening right now on Subway Sports Talk. Give you a second. Probably said Russell Westbrook. Probably thought about Dennis Schroeder. You're like, oh, Austin Reeves probably. Is it Austin Reeves? No, nah, it's not Austin Reeves. Patrick Beverly? No, it's not Patrick. It's Lonnie Walker. Lonnie Walker, the fourth, is their third leading scorer. Now, Lonnie Walker's a guy that I kind of liked out of college. Never quite figured it out to this point. He's still very young. He's still very athletic. He's talented. He's averaging 15 points per game. 
He's shooting 38% from three. That's huge for him on five and a half attempts. I'm not trying to crap on Lonnie Walker. He ain't ready to be the third best player. And now with Andy Davis out, the second best, the second most important player on their offense. That's not very good, man. That's not going to get it done. So I'm talking about some teams going up, some teams going down. When you have LeBron, you ain't taking. So they're only trying to go up. But how far can they actually get up? I think their ceiling is an eight or nine seed at best. Absolute best. They can overtake the Jazz. They can overtake the Timberwolves. They can overtake the Blazers. I don't think they're overtaking much else. So I think their absolute ceiling is like a nine seed. And that just hurts to say out loud when you're talking about LeBron James. It sucks. The Thunder, the Spurs, the Rockets, they're the bottom tier. Lakers and Timberwolves kind of somewhere in the middle there. Thunder, Spurs, Rockets at the bottom. You know, Thunder, Frisky, play fun basketball. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is an absolute stud. Stud. If you are bored on a Wednesday night and they're playing late on ESPN for some reason, or if you got league pass, do yourself a favor and watch Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's freaking awesome. He's so good. He's so good at getting to his spot, finishing with a multitude of moves, finishing from the elbow, finishing around the rim, shooting the three. SGA deserves praise. He should be an all-star. He will be an all-star. They ain't going anywhere. They're tanking. They're in the sweepstakes. So are the Spurs. So are the Rockets. But I will say the Rockets have been disappointing. You know, I like Kevin Porter as a player. I think Jalen Green has a boatload of talent he's got to figure out. But they, they're they not it. They, they ain't it. It's okay. The Rockets are going to be in the sweepstakes for Wemby, for Scoot, and they need it. Obviously, Jabari Smith is a rookie as well. He's been fine. He's a rookie, not making winning impact very much. They've lost nine out of 10. They're going to continue to lose a ton of games. They only got 10 wins on the season. Throw them in the Wemby sweepstakes with Detroit, Charlotte, and et cetera. And that's it. Those are my NBA tiers for you guys right there. A breakdown of a ton of teams. I hope you enjoyed. I'm Pete Kennedy for Subway Sports Talk. Thank you for staying with me. I'm going to be way. I'm getting out of town. I'm staying in the States, but I'm going as far as you possibly could and still be in the United States, I think. I don't know if Alaska is farther than where I'm going. You didn't guess. I'm going to some beautiful islands in Hawaii, and I cannot wait. But we will still have content for you, recording something to get out while I'm away. Uh, so don't worry. I ain't recording a podcast while I'm in Hawaii. I ain't going to do that. That'd be crazy. Can't I can't I can't fathom taking time away from a vacation with my girlfriend and I in Hawaii to talk about uh, Aaron Rodgers making the playoffs or something like that. So I got something for you coming next week. It'll be out on Tuesday. I'm sorry. It'll be out on Wednesday next week. And I look forward to that episode, uh, but I ain't recording it next week. I'm recording it now. A little podcast magic for you guys behind the curtain, of course, but Subway Sports Talk. Pete Kennedy, those were my NBA tiers. If you have any takes to go along with it, if you have any thoughts to go along with it, you can always hit me on Twitter or Instagram at P Kennedy with two Y's on the end. You could also hit us at Subway Sports Talk on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, at Subway Sports Talk. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review on your podcast app, as well as subscribe, hit the notification bell on YouTube. That's all we got. Subway Sports Talk. We'll talk to you soon. Enjoy week 18. Get well soon. Demar Hamlin.